I decided to do this entry and speak about all three films as a whole instead of the three films individually. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, these are Netflix original films based on Aurel Stein books from the 90s. And I used to be a huge Aurel Stein um, fan. I used to love reading Goosebumps. And I think he also had a, a role in Erie, Indiana. I'm not 100% certain about that, so don't quote me on it, but I think he did. Uh, for those who don't know, Erie, Indiana is another, uh, I guess, kids' television show on, like, Fox from back in the day. Uh, on around, like, the same time as the Goose, Goosebumps show was, or even shows like Big Bad, Big Bad Beetleborgs and things like that. Um, but Fear Street was something I never knew about. Um, my wife, however, she knew uh, about it. She was a big fan of the books. Apparently, they were very similar to the Goosebumps uh, stories. I, like I said, I don't know much about this books about these books, so I went in sort of cold. You know, I didn't really know much. All I knew was that they were promoting this trilogy. What I wasn't expecting was all three trilogies to be released within this month, and I was actually pretty shocked by that. And so first I want to talk about the movies themselves, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what this kind of means uh, in retrospect. So, the first part. So now essentially they're all kind of the same story, but each film is different parts. They're released about a week apart from each other, one being released on July 2nd, the other one being released on July 9th, and the last one being released on July 16th. Uh, as of the recording of this entry, it is July 21st. So if you haven't seen it by now, or if you don't have Netflix and you haven't gotten to watch it, uh, maybe you don't want to listen to this, um, but just in case, I wanted to let you know that all three are out. They are available on Netflix, and you can watch them all without um, uh, worrying about it uh, if you want to do that first. Up to you, but let's start with the first one. The first one, titled 1994, is kind of the... Uh, epicenter of the entire trilogy. This is the story that we're kind of focused on for the most part. Uh, essentially, it creates the foundation for what leads into the other two. The other two both kind of being prequels, one that goes a couple of years back from the main story uh, in part one, and then part three going all the way back to the origins of where that story comes from. So here you have three different portions of the story being told in, in a fashion where they still exist within this this universe that the film set up for themselves, all deriving from the first film. Now, uh, 1994, it's about, you know, some teenagers in the mid-90s, and there's uh, they're part of rival um, towns that are, like, side-by-side, side, very much, you know, middle America concept story almost probably something that is taken from the books uh from what my wife tells me she doesn't recognize the story she doesn't know if these are uh related to anything that actually came from any book in particular you know she hasn't read all of them just like i haven't read every single goosebumps book you know but maybe there's somebody out there that can pinpoint that and actually say yes this is actually from a a, a very particular story in the fear street book universe but even if it isn't even if it's just a, a film that's based on it that film by itself you know it, it stands strong it's it's a very good film it's a very strong film uh from start to finish with a lot of you know 90s 
movie tropes and a lot of things from the 90s that are kind of getting you like, you know, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. They're kind of putting these little quirky things in there like neon, very big back then. So they're making that and, and people who had uh, black lights with certain movie posters, black lighting and neon stuff, very big. Uh, the concept of the internet is always kind of joked about and message boards and things like that. And it's got a lot of quirky 90s things in it. But the main premise is that they have these two towns that are side by side, and they're at right they're they're rivals with each other, but there happens to be one called Shady Side, where a lot of really bad things tend to happen. And what that is is that and again, you're talking about books that were made for teenagers in the nineties. These might have been a little bit of a bump up from that, because I remember Goosebumps not being all the way too scary to the point of a certain gore factor and maybe fear street had that little umph that little bit more so rl stein had these two separate components you had this kind of pg-13 book with goosebumps and then you had the the closer to r rating with fear street because this these films get pretty brutal and what essentially the curse of shady side is is that every couple of years somebody goes completely insane and murders a bunch of people. And it happens at every certain year increment. Um, but there's no real uh, telling how, like, so from, like, Stephen King's It, the, the clown always appears every 27 years. So there's a solid, like, format to that. So usually something like that's like, oh, every seven years this happened. Oh, every ten years this happened. There's no part of the story where you get the idea that it happens at any particular time or any particular length of time it's just it's very random and it's always um a shady sider as they call them a, per, a person who is a resident of shady side so the one that they're currently involved with in the way that the 1994 story is based on it just so happens to happen after the events of who the most recent person who was quote-unquote cursed and the curse derives from uh, a witch who was hung by this tree that's in the center of this huge mall in Shadyside, and she's cursed the land. So somebody goes crazy, they think it's the witch's curse. So right after the newest person goes nuts, uh, there's a bunch of things that happen during a football game. Somebody gets into an accident or something, and then, like, the 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 characters that the main story is focused on somehow get tangled up in this this new story where oh no they're being chased by all of the previous killers from the past and they know them because these are like you know this is we're talking that this is meant to be the 90s so this is kids talking about you know murderers in their town and they have a lot of them there's there's about maybe two dozen from the histories, uh, from the history of the town, and you, they only really show you at least six or seven of them, and they're pretty brutal. Like, one's a kid with a baseball bat, the other is a dude who, like, is a track runner with a flannel shirt and a mask on, and he's wielding an axe, and then there's this lady who's singing really creepy songs, and she's slicing throats with razor blades and shit, and these, these people, these killers are really creepy. And the thing is, is that they're learning that they can't get rid of them. They're, like, unkillable. 
And as the story progresses, you they learn that, oh, it's one particular person in their group that they're after. So in the process of kind of trying to trick them, they try to also research all of the previous killers or even the curse to see if there's an underlining factor. And the underlining factor they learn is that they have to fake kill the friend in order to trick the curse into kind of getting, like, letting her go. They do that. In the process, a bunch of them die. And then, lo and behold, it didn't work. So, they now go to one of the other, the only other survivors um, from these attacks. And they try to get her help. That's how the movie ends. Leading into part two, this person that they go to get the help with is one of the only survivors from the massacre of the, uh, the, the killer with the axe and the flannel shirt. And that's what part two is titled 1978. That's when those murders happened. And the guy with the flannel shirt just so happens to be the one that was cursed and went crazy. So that story is about a bunch of campers um, getting slaughtered and one of their camp counselors going crazy and it all still being related to this quote-unquote curse. But now the premise of the second part is it goes deeper into the idea that we have to figure out how to break the curse. And they get really close to it, but they don't succeed. And there is a lot of... I guess if, if 94 was like... A little bit too gory for some people 78 really picked that up because it didn't hold back any punches not only were people dying and you were just seeing like axes going to skulls without with like flawlessly like the the special effects team on these films was just immaculate and it's not even just like adults or teenagers it's like kids like they have no problem murdering a whole like bunker full of children and I get that that's the premise of the story. It's just that that's usually something that's not put in the forefront of a film almost. It's kind of like how they, they, they make the notion and then they cut scene. And then they come back and they just, uh, it's gasping faces and whatnot. Like, no, they show the guy charging at a group of kids, throwing the axe. They, you hear a bunch of screams. They do a wide shot of him swinging the axe at where the kid was. So you don't actually see the kid, but it's still a more gruesome notion than just a scene cut. And then you cut, and then there would be another scene where the the adults that are still alive find them, and it's just pieces lying all over the place and bloody glasses, and it's just it's very gruesome. And I think the um, the premise of that story has a lot of um, roots when it comes to like the Friday the Thirteenth series. Even though, like, that was also dumbed down to just be like, oh yeah, we're just going to be murdering the teenagers or the, 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 the ones committing, like, premarital sex and all that kind of shit. Like, that's what those films were kind of about. You never actually saw Jason kill any kids. Though, it was, like, right before the kids were supposed to come to camp. So, if you wanted to do a reboot where, yeah, Jason goes around killing a bunch of kids, he could... Like, they, they pushed the envelope with that a couple of years ago with Michael Myers completely, like, I, I don't even remember exactly how he, I think he ripped the kid's head off or something. But in the very first um, encounter that Michael has in the newest Halloween film, where he breaks out of the bus that's transferring him, uh, he kills this little kid in a car, 
for no reason. Like the kid's just minding his own business and his father went out and I, I, I get the idea of his father dying, but the kid's just in the car like, Papa, where are you? Papa, Papa, where are you? And nope, just totally like rips the kid's head off. I believe it's something crazy like that. I don't remember exactly, but they hold, they held no punches with that. And this film takes it to an even bigger level um, when it comes to the idea of just completely slaughtering a bunch of 11 and 12 year olds. So that movie eventually ends with this one character getting really, really close to um, breaking the curse, I guess you can say, and not succeeding and almost dying. And it ends with going back to the room where they're talking to the survivor after she tells the whole story, which is the film based in 1978. And she tells him, oh, you had it all wrong. We figured it out, but we didn't know that you did all this as well. So we have to go and do this too. So what they actually have to do is they think they have to put the witch's body back together. That's what the sisters in 1978 tried to do, but where they thought the body was buried wasn't. And it just so happens in the 1994 story, they found where the body was actually placed. And so they're like, okay, so you just had the wrong spot. Where did you leave the hand? The witch's hand plays a huge role in this because that's apparently the piece that's missing to break the curse. It's like the witch saying, you must give me my hand back or whatever. It's it's a lot of, like, uh, I don't want to say, like, almost like telephone. It's like a very telephone-ish kind of feeling where as the story goes further and further down the generations, you know, the story gets mi- misconstrued. And so they realize they have to get the hand. They go get the hand. They return to the body. And the part two film ends with them reuniting the, the witch's hand with the rest of her body and then it kind of transporting the main character girl back to 1666 which is what part three takes place in and that's basically the the time frame that she's watching is the slow escalation of what led to this witch quote-unquote witch being hung for making a deal with the devil and dooming her town being located on the grounds of Shadyside. So, 1966, no, not 1966, 1666, we see the story told through the eyes of what happened to this girl, the quote-unquote witch, and what essentially happens is you learn that it wasn't really her. She actually wasn't a witch, of course, because it also plays a big notion on the Salem Witch Trials, and not only is she not the witch, but she figured out who actually started the curse. And it was somebody who made a deal with the devil for long living prosperity. And how they do that is the deal was you must sacrifice one person in your town. They must also kill a bunch of people. And then you and your family will have like everlasting wealth and prosperity and this person just so happens to be the ancestor later on down the line who turns out to be the sheriff from 1994 who doesn't have as big of a role and it kind of comes out of nowhere so it's a really really good twist to the story because you think that you're about to find out okay let's see what happened to the witch But it's not that what happened to the witch is that nobody would believe her if she tried to tell them otherwise. So she 
did kind of curse them by saying, I will eventually show who you really are. And that kind of curse did eventually lead to them discovering who the real person doing all of these really devilish things to the town is, the person who started all of it. And then there's a secret part four, hidden in part three, where they they go back to 1994, and the main character learns who is actually the cause of the curse of Shadyside, and they go and they make and they make plans and they try to like get him to you know into the mall where they can kind of like kill him or sacrifice him in some way, shape, or form where they can end the curse because because essentially his death has to stop the curse. And, of course, they succeed, and there's a lot of really um, fun stuff that happens when it comes to how they utilize all the little tricks that they've learned about how it's not just the person, it's the blood. So they put blood in a squirt bottle, and they squirt the sheriff, and he's, like, covered. And then the, the demon incarnations try to attack him, but he holds one of them hostage, and he's like, if, I'm di- if I, I, she dies, and then uh, he lets her go... And he winds up escaping, he winds up getting chased, and eventually he winds up losing. Like, you like you think he's going to win, but he's not. He's going to lose. There has to be a happy ending to a film like this, or a set of films, to this essential story. So, that's how it ends. The curse gets broken, and everybody who's still alive lives happily ever after, for the most part. So, let's talk about one thing that I want to mention. And now, I did kind of really skim past these films and give a very brief synopsis on what happens. There is essentially a lot more, but it is three films, and I don't want to talk too long about them. I will say that all three of them are worth it back-to-back, and that's what I waited for. I waited till all three of them were released, and then I watched them one after another. So now we're talking, that's three, almost two-hour films. We're talking over... 300 minutes, which is almost five hours, more than five hours, 360. Yeah, that's about five hours, but it's more than that. So you're talking about almost six possible hours of content through these three films. And they're not on any sort of level that's, you know, Oscar-worthy. You know, these they might win some kind of prize at a, a lower thing. They're not going to win an Emmy or anything like that. But it should be noticed, it should be recognized that Netflix essentially made a trilogy at the same time and released it the same year. Do you, do you understand the kind of like precedent that, that sets right now? The ability to know that something like that is possible? And not only did they release three parts of, of, of a trilogy of this movie, of this story, but now they've shown that they can do that. So the expectation of certain films that you might say deserve something like that or something or somewhere along the lines that you could do this again with another kind of series it kind of puts into perspective the idea that th- this is what this is a new realm for say instead of doing a show you do a set of films like if you split this up and made it a 5 hours Say you made it a six-part miniseries. You know what I'm saying? What's the difference between a six-part miniseries and a trilogy of films? They just prove that that's more than capable of being done with these films right here. So this opens the doors for more possibilities of getting 
a good string of films one after another in this same style. And granted, I understand how this kind of works for the purpose of this particular trilogy, but that's not really the case, because if you think about it, the the um, Zack Schneider Justice League, uh, Justice League Cut, that's an almost six-hour film, and that was meant to be split into six different chapters viewed as almost a, te- a, a television show, or like a miniseries, or a limited series. And some people probably watched it like that. I didn't. I watched it straight through. Just like I watched all three of these movies straight through. So you have these films little by little coming out and showing you that not only can you create movie quality, you know, series, but you can do them all and release them all in the same year. So why would we wait for sequels more than a year if you're planning a sequel and you just proved to me that you can release all three movies that are part of the storyline within the same year why can't anybody else like why can't we get two movies that are the first part and the second part within the same year or within a year of each other i know sometimes that works but sometimes it doesn't you don't always get the the sequel the next year or the following year you sometimes have to wait almost two years and sometimes Movies don't need sequels, but if you split up a story, something like this, not only does it give you more time to tell a good story, it also gives you the ability to create more content. This is three individual films that if you viewed together, it would be an experience. But if we had to wait another year for part two of this story... I don't know if it would be as big of a deal as releasing all three of them weeks after each other as a trilogy series of films. Like, if you took any show and instead created mini movies out of them, not only would they be shorter, but they would be given a little bit more, I guess, I don't want to say praise because, you know, you still have movie quality shows out there. But it's just the idea that these are an example of not just being limited to your two-hour time frame or even your two-and-a-half-hour time frame. If you can take a story and add the necessary ingredients to make that story worthwhile, why would you take content out to shorten it because you think it's more appealing? This format is appealing. What they did with these movies is appealing. So if you're going to tell me that you couldn't fit this one particular story in this two-hour film, this is the kind of thing that proves to you that that's invalid. Create this, this string of events where you are fitting all of the necessary content and you are releasing this story in parts. Not only are you going to have one film, but you could easily have three or maybe even four films, depending on the story you're trying to tell. And you're going to get people who want to watch it. And it's not going to be considered a television show or even a miniseries or a limited series. It's going to be considered a film because you've given it its full feature length quality and you've released them all in, in, in a format that shows them as being all part of this story, but still t- telling the same story. You know, you get what I'm trying to say. I think I think I'm getting my point across pretty well, and I think this is definitely going to be something we see again with the idea of us getting three movies that are all part of the same story within um, the same time frame, just like this one did. We got three films in a month that could essentially have been released 
within the six months of each other. Even if you go into the littlest amount of time, you probably could have if you were sitting on this, on this, um, on these particular films. You could have easily gone six months to a year before giving us a second one, and then another full year from giving us a third one. And you gave us all three of them. And you could have even cut them up and made them six parts and made us watch it as a show, but you didn't. And that's smart. To me, I feel like that's smart, and that should be a direction that a lot of these stories go into, because these three films as a whole told us that potentially there is no limit to how much you can put into a story or into a film. If you're willing to do this breaking up kind of thing, you can fit all the stories you want into this format. Now, a lot of these other things that we're getting that shows us this are shows like what the MCU is putting out on Disney+. Plus. WandaVision is a great show. Would it have been a fantastic movie? Sure. But you're talking about a movie that could have possibly been four hours long. Could have been two parts of a film? Sure, you could have had the first WandaVision and then part two WandaVision. Two separate films. But now you're talking about a film that's anywhere from, that's anywhere between like an hour and 45 to two and a half hours long. And it wouldn't have had the same pr the same feeling as her actual show did. So her show made sense to be put into this TV show kind of fashion and not take anything away and give you all of what they actually wanted to accomplish with that story. And I do feel like there's probably a few things they could have done differently with that show in particular, but putting it in a telev televised fashion is smart because it gives you more time to tell the story. Now, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, on the other hand, you could have made that a movie. That could have easily been a movie. Why not release a two-part movie? One month, here's part one of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Second, next month, here's part two, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like, that could have been two feature films and still had the same impact as a six-part miniseries gave us. And that's just my opinion. You could agree or disagree with that, but this is what I'm trying to express. We are leading into this era where there are no more excuses to whether or not you put certain things in the film. If you are missing certain aspects of a story then that's poor decision-making on your part, where all you have to do is follow these, these test things that they've been giving us, these, these formats of how they they're telling stories, that they're not shows, they're mini-movies, they're mini-films. And a lot of this reminds me of back in, say, what I say, like the 40s or the 50s, um, or even the 30s, even. You can go really far back. If you were, anybody's ever been a fan of the Three Stooges, Every episode of the Three Stooges isn't called an episode. Like, that wasn't really a thing. They're called short presentations. They're little 20-minute stories that are meant to be not films, but not TV shows either. You know what I'm saying? Like, there wasn't a set premise to that, what they were doing with their skits. They were showing them to the extent of maybe 20 minutes, and that was it. Whatever happened in that 20 minutes, they never repeated, there was never a sequel, nothing. And I feel like that's something that's being copied today to the extent that we're seeing that these the, these shorter formats not only work, but they also allow to add more to it to make things longer. Not even just, like if you have a show that's only 10 episodes long and you're missing content, that's that's poor decision making as well. So, the idea is to have an, a, to the appropriate amount of time to fit the story, but to also understand that you have the option to not t take necessary story components out if you have formats like this out there that have proven to work. 
these f three films are rated very, very well. I believe there's something like, I think like even like a Rotten Tomatoes, they're in like the 80s or the 90s, all three of them. And they're rated very well on Netflix, and they're really good, for, they're really enjoyable films, and they just show that something like this can be done, and it, and it works really, really well. And they're not the only example, like the other examples I've given, and it's just something that should open up the eyes of, say, directors or production studios, or any, anybody within the realm of Hollywood that greenlights these kind of things. Take, take this example. Understand that it's possible and understand that not everything needs to be in the traditional format anymore. We're moving into a new era where new formats are being created and there's more options. So take those options and run with them and really give yourself a good cho good choices and make good choices to give us good stories and good films and good miniseries and good TV shows and all that good stuff. You know, just understand that there are there are very few limitations these days. That that's all I have to say.